0: Hello, and welcome to the first of hopefully many streamed versions of the RPG Academy podcast. I, of course, am Michael, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. So if you're new to the Twitch side, we've been recording podcasts. This is like 162nd of the faculty meetings. We have over a 1,000 episodes across all of the RPG Academy stuff, but we don't stream them very often. We're going to try to maybe start doing that. So this might be a little bit different of a process but we're going to try and essentially we're just going to kind of kick things off with um, I guess why we're here right well I got so excited about the possibility of doing the uh, the stream version that I neglected to do the patron of the week so my apologies I do not have a new patron of the week to um, to shout out but we actually did get a new patron Brandon. So Brandon would be our newest patron. So Brandon, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy some of the behind the scenes stuff that you get by supporting us. Before we get too far into things, one of the things that we always like to do here is talk about why we're here. So the goal of these faculty meeting episodes is that at some point in the conversation that Tom and I are about to have, there will be something, some sliver, some nugget of wisdom that you, dear listener, can take back to your games at your tables and make them more fun for you and your friends. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're
1: doing it right.
0: That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you play, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use or misuse, as long as you and all the people at your table are having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, we kick things off as we always do here on the faculty meetings and talk about some RPG news. So what you got for me today, Tom?
1: Okay, so obviously the thing, it's been a while since we've done a faculty meeting, so we have not on the podcast talked about D&D 1, okay? So Mm -hmm. obviously everybody knows what this is. Uh, Like it or not, Wizards of the Coast can call it edition, you know, revision, um, D&D as a an idea. It is the next edition of Dungeons and Dragons, but it's going to be compatible with 5th edition. And I just wanted to know Michael your thoughts on this as somebody who has played through different editions of D&D. And really I've never heard anybody's like what they thought about that transition period. Like, can you think back to 4E to 5th edition or 3.5 to 4th edition? How did you feel then? And were you, like, excited to buy new stuff? Were you upset? Like, what's going through your process, your head? You know,
0: I I don't know that I'm a great touch point for a lot of this. I don't remember, like, when I first started, we started with basic. And I've I've covered that many, many times. But advanced already existed. Excuse me. So even though we started with basic, that's just because that's what we found at the bookstore and that's what you bought. And then within a few months, we realized, hey, there's already this advanced version. So we went out and we started getting those books and playing that. And I think second was right around the corner. So it all kind of happened almost outside of my, my view. And I just, you know, that's what you did. You just bought the new thing. So it, it wasn't that big of a deal. And then after 3.5, I stopped playing for a while. And then 4th edition is what got me back into it. Like I had just kind of assumed that I'm not going to be playing anymore. I'd moved, had a new job, changed over friend groups. I didn't know if I knew anybody who played. I wasn't sure if I was going to like, you know, try to reach out and make friends specifically who played this game or not. And then when 4th edition came out, I was like, oh, this is cool. I like some of the changes. So I bought the books and then I, it kind of reinvigorated my love for the game, even though the more I played 4th edition, the less I liked it. And then, so when 5th edition came out, I was still playing fourth edition, but I was playing it more, a little more loosey goosey, I guess, which I always do. Uh, so if I kind of went into fifth edition, very excited. I, I still think there are things that happen in the D&D next play test that are superior to what actually came out in fifth edition. Like they had some really grand ideas and it seemed like they kind of, you know, watered that down and try to make it closer to what it was rather than using some of their more extreme, I thought fascinating ideas. So I'm all for it because I think fifth edition is the best edition of the game ever. I really, really enjoy it. It's not perfect. So I like to see them trying to innovate and doing new things. I will gladly buy the new books, but I also understand there's a lot of corporate double speak because D and D one is a new edition. And to say that it's not, is just dumb. No one, no one believes that this is not a new edition. It's a new edition. It's you're just calling it one. uh, And then you can always call the the new versions one as well, but you're going to have to differentiate them somehow. So to me, that part's nonsense. I'm a little bit hesitant about the, it feels to me like they're going to roll heavy into virtual where the, you know, what was d d Beyond is kind of getting rolled into the virtual tabletop. So I feel like it's going to be more like a subscription model where you pay a monthly thing and you'll get all the new stuff that comes out rather than buying the books, which I'm an old man, so maybe that makes more sense. But that's that's the part I'm a little hinky on, is I still want to be able to buy a book and have a book in my hands. And I'm worried that at some point, that's not going to be the case.
1: Yeah, it's they're definitely shifting more towards the digital side. And I think that's because they see that it's where they have the most room for growth. And basically any business, they're always looking to see where can we grow? And they see digital as that's where it's going to be. I... I think it's interesting that they're going this digital approach. I think whether you agree with me or not, I don't care. I think fundamentally role-playing games are these social experiences that are best experienced together with people at a table. There's just something, and I love how we have like connected the world and you can play with all of your friends, but I think that there is just something that I hope we don't lose, which is that personal social connection i think it's so like key to the human psyche to be with people and to play with them so i don't think they're trying to like whole like get rid of that i'm curious to see obviously them making a new product they're gonna sell that new product i'm curious to see what percentage of people buy this new book Obviously, it's not. I don't think it's going to hit the same numbers as the original 5th edition PHB, because I think that you're going to have a lot of people who don't buy it just because, oh, it's compatible. I'm not going to buy it. They may buy the new supplements, different things like that, but any sort of core product. I'm curious to see what they do. It's definitely... There's definitely this, like you were saying, this corporate double speak. Mm-hmm. It's like they're changing a bunch of fundamental things, and there's two things that have really kind of really kind of lit fires under people. The first one is the criticals. Yeah. First, Michael, are you somebody who, if somebody rolls a nat 20 outside of combat, what do you do?
0: Okay. 99.9% of the time, a natural 20 outside of combat is just a really good role. And whatever they were trying to do, they did the best possible version of that. So like if someone's trying to shoot an arrow at the moon and they roll a 20, they are not going to hit the moon with an arrow, but it's an impressive shot that maybe they, you know, it was impressive to anyone who saw it. Maybe something lucky happens on the other side and it, you know, I don't know, it, it hits a bird flying through the air and it continues to fly away. So the arrow literally disappears from sight, but no, it doesn't actually hit the moon. But sometimes it's kind of fun for just an absolutely ridiculous outcome to happen. And I'll, I'll make that decision in the moment, but again, 99.9% of the time, if it can't be done, then there's no point in rolling. But sometimes I will have you roll again just to see. So I use the example of like, if someone's trying to seduce a dragon, all right. Again, unless there's things that I know as a DM that the players don't know, I'm pretty much going to assume that's not something that's going to happen, but I'll let the player roll to determine how that approach is received by the dragon so if they roll really well then the dragon might actually be like impressed like you know it wasn't going to happen but i love the effort and it might shift the dragons you know um, how they feel about the party or the character in a positive way and rather than just eating them be like you're actually kind of funny you know what it might be kind of fun to keep you around a little while longer So while the bar didn't actually seduce the dragon, it did create a positive relationship outcome that that works in the party's favor, where if they rolled terribly, then it's possible that the dragon got offended. Like, you know, I cannot imagine you you would even suggest that you pee on type of thing. So sometimes when I have people roll in those situations, it's not to see if they succeed or not. It's to see how the attempt is perceived by the world. Having said that, there was one time in particular, I think I mentioned in one of the episodes earlier, where. We were playing a game. The human player was sneaking around, trying to get past some goblins. The goblins saw that they were sneaking by and approached them. And the player's like, I'm going to try to convince them that I'm a goblin. I'm a new recruit. And they looked like a human. And I'm like, sure, roll it. And then, of course, they rolled a natural 20 in that case. So I just thought it would be funny to be like, okay, the goblin, I mean, they're not smart creatures. So they're like, okay, sure, you're a goblin handed that person the key, said, hey, I guess you're watching the prisoners. i want to go take a smoke break. And so it was just a funny situation because it was low stakes. Like, it was a full party against one goblin guarding the, the prisoners. So if it had turned to a combat, there was absolutely no chance whatsoever that the goblin was going to do any serious damage. So ultimately, why not let that be a funny, memorable moment when the outcome should have been, no, you're not, and then initiative, and then die, and then they still get the keys and that type of thing. So- Again, I'm double speaking at this point. 99% of the time, don't roll unless you're trying to gauge the approach. And then every now and then you just roll with it. And that's why there's a person behind the screen to make those calls.
1: Yeah. I I completely agree with you. If they can't succeed, they don't roll. Like if it's something where you're like, they're not, that you don't plan on them succeeding, it's something narrative, you just don't make them roll. All right. I totally agree with you. But what they're doing with, uh, I think, I don't know why. I just have always played that a Nat 20 is an automatic success. There has to be something in the starter set that made everybody believe this. Like, there just has to be. And I want to know what... I'll I'll probably go back and read this.
0: Because there's more rules about combat than anything else. And in the combat rules, it it is that way. So just sort of like by osmosis, you're more likely to remember that than you are that subsection. Okay.
1: I think the... um, Uh, But uh, so a lot of people were kind of like well okay they are specifically saying that in for the one play test that criticals only matter in combat okay so i'm like well okay they're taking the fun out of it but i think If I don't, I think that if you were to look at what D&D 1 is doing, I think it may be doing something that I want them to do, which is tightening things up. Don't make the game so loosey-goosey. Put actual, like, real guardrails in there and tell people what they can and cannot do and be very clear. And I think we're going to talk about this later. All right. So the other thing that they did was they said that Dungeon Masters can no longer crit in combat. Mm Mm-hmm okay they have to be changing combat because this is one of those things where they're just like how do you all feel about this because my guess is that they have to be changing the combat balancing and how monsters work
0: well so my first reaction because this was the first thing that came out when i was in the twitter sphere someone that some of this came across my feed i think we may we may have even touched on detention i think we because i remember talking about this before and and at the time there was no further information it was just you know dms can't crit anymore and my response was, okay, but I want something to happen on a 20. Like maybe it's like a recharge thing where I yeah. automatically get to recharge. And I've now heard that's probably what they're going to do. So perfect. That would be a, to me, that's a better in game sort of narrative thing that I can, as the DM, because I can still control when I use that. Uh, you know, okay, now I get an extra breath weapon, but when I use it, how I deploy it, how it makes sense narratively, I like that much better than the narrative swinginess of. Oh wow, that was that one roll changes everything in what I would think is a negative way. So I think that's a great change. Is that DMs don't crit as long as we get something when that happens. Like maybe there's like an inspiration for us that I can use to re-roll rolls or I can make you re-roll a roll against me. As long as I get some sort of thing for my twenties, I don't care if it's double damage. Okay. And that guy, we love you too.
1: Okay. the The other thing was the um. The races, okay? They did so much stuff with Tasha's with lineages and getting rid of racial modifiers and everything. I, I thought we were done with this.
0: Why and Why not just go all the way with a new addition? That makes no
1: sense. Just call it, okay, because... Ancestries,
0: heritage, whatever.
1: I don't know, like, what they were thinking. Just, they started using races again. It's not like they changed the rules. It's still the Tasha's... Um, the modifiers where you get to pick. It's like, what do you do? You you all were going down this route. I just I don't understand. And then there's this whole. Um, we could have a whole podcast about how they screwed up on the Hadozi. Like they just completely goofed that and didn't have anybody read that before they published it in the new, uh, the new Spelljammer stuff. And yeah. then they just and then instead of like it took them like days to issue a statement and all they did was remove the Hadozi stuff from D and D beyond and didn't issue a statement. So it looks like they were just kind of gaslighting everybody. (laughs) And then they released a statement. They have, I don't understand like what they're doing. Like you think that is,
0: I think that's probably miscommunication somewhere. Like one, one hand didn't know what the other hand was doing. That's the only thing that makes sense to me that it's just silly not because clearly they were embracing it. It makes sense to me. I think that's a positive change. And then just to like, you know, like I said, gaslight, like, oh, no, like we've never even talked about that before because we're. it just seemed like a silly oversight to me
1: yeah so i think that we'll continue i, I will continue to kind of this is like going a flashback to when dungeon talk was still going you guys were kind of talking about we won't go into too much details when, but when they come out if there's any big changes like i don't want to talk about there's a couple of new races i mean i don't care about that kind of stuff but i think the critical stuff that's interesting but anyway let us know if you've if you signed up for the D D one play test hop on our discord let us know what you think curious to see i will not be buying these new books um Hopefully, Wizards' marketing strategy doesn't change with D&D 1 and they continue to send everybody books for free. That'll be great. Um, and anyway, um, that's the big RPG news. There's a lot of cool Kickstarters right now. Dragon yes. Bane by Free League. That, Show & Tell, will be dropping soon. Lots of other cool stuff. But the big tabletop RPG industry news what? is Could it the... Be- a catacon is funded. So yes, for those who don't know, we host a convention in Dayton, Ohio, November fourth through the sixth, and that we kickstarted that, and that is successfully funded. And you can still now buy badges through tabletop.events dot But Michael, now that we're funded, what are the next? What's the next steps? What are the? I got something to add, but what are the important things that people need to know now?
0: So if you did back the Kickstarter. I have to process a badge for you. So essentially the way it works, Tabletop Events is a completely separate entity than Kickstarter. So you pledge for a badge to the Kickstarter. I then have to translate that in the system to them having a badge connected. And it's just a process. It's manual. I literally have to go in and type your name and type your email and hit a button. So it's going to take me a little while to go through and I got to double check that you know everything matched up. So my, I'm giving myself till the end of next weekend If you don't have a badge in the system through there by then, please ping me because I've definitely messed up. And I'm sure I will. I'll miss somebody. It's going to happen. Uh, All the faculty have hours already. All of our special guests have theirs already. As soon as you have your badge, you can start submitting events. That's the big thing for me now is if you are someone who's going to run events, please, please, please go ahead and start submitting as soon as you get your badge. Um, One, it's easier for me because I can manage that process, you know, like a stream where it's just slowly filtering in over time versus if we wait till like, you know, end of October and then all of a sudden everyone does it, then it's overwhelming. And there are going to be plenty of people who don't know about our event, who find out it through a friend of a friend who's like, well, what games can I play? And if there's nothing on the event list, it looks like nothing. So we want to make sure that we have plenty of events on there that are like, okay, yeah, I can definitely see why I'd want to buy a badge because there's all these cool events. So um, I will be running Scooby-Doo Dread. I will be running our D&D Mystery Murder LARP once again. Those are my two favorite events I run every year. Second one comes with Cake, which is definitely a selling point. Uh, The Open Game Library. So again, I'm trying to sell it to people now. So yeah, so to, to your point, get your badge. As soon as you get your badge, start submitting events. And then beyond that, show up ready to play games in November.
1: Yeah, continue to tell your friends who didn't back the Kickstarter because that's now how we're going to continue to fill this place up. It's word of mouth. It's going to be huge. Speaking of events that you can submit, I will be submitting my events in the next few days. I am going to be running Simbarum, and I'm also going to be running Dragonbane, and Mm -hmm. I may also be running Forbidden Lands. So, yes, these are all free league games, and you may be saying, Tom, why are you only running free league games? And you can say, well, listen to any of our podcasts, and I really like their games. But also, we're going to be participating in League of Free Agents. This is Free League's organized play system. It's much different than a DD and d or Pathfinder organized play where there are special events that you go to sign up for. It's not like that. It's just anybody can run any Free League game that they want there are some exclusive ones but that's the key, the really the key thing is here just to encourage people to run free league games because for every free league game you run you're going to get an 11 dollar it's a hundred seek it's the swedish crown or whatever so it comes out to around 11 US dollars uh as a discount on free league's web store so just run a game or two and that's almost a book right there yeah So we will be giving more details for those. But the free league games always fill up super fast. It's because people want to play them. There's usually not a lot of people who run them for whatever weird reason. I know this year, for example, a bunch of my friends who are coming, who are part of my play group, who play free league games with me, are all running free league games. So they're all going to help try to get that, bolster that stuff up. So, um as, lo- as well as Free League, I will probably be running a game called Zypher, um which is created by Federico Sohn. It's not this is it's completely an indie game that I'm really digging right now. So, uh anyway, uh that's League of Free Agents. More details to follow.
0: Excellent. Catacon, Catacon, Catacon. It's basically taken over my life. So, I will roll that into Action 12 Cinema, the game that I wrote. Uh, it's a GMless improv heavy d12 focused game where you play through bad action movies but not bad ones fun bad ones and it's at a dead stop because of me tracy turned in the edits and like hey we need one more round from you and i'm like i'll get to it and i have not got to it so hopefully i'll have a time over the next couple weeks to get to that as well just need to move some things around there were a couple like pick this or this a or b type of thing you know like getting new glasses one or two three or four Got to make those choices and then reorganize it. And then pretty much we'll be ready to move on. I actually forwarded you that email. I don't know if you saw it. I, I got in contact with someone who can help me run the Kickstarter. Yeah. I wanted to get your opinion on that as well, because it's, there's a lot and, you know, I'm impulsive. So I wanted you to kind of help give me your insights on on what you think we should or shouldn't do type of a thing. But it still looks like probably late this year, more likely early next year, Action 12 Cinema will be hitting Kickstarter or another crowdfunding platform, depending on sort of you know testing the waters at that time but i'm very excited about that but unfortunately nothing too exciting other than it's now in my court and i'm slowly moving with the forehand to return the ball to tracing
1: nice okay so that's kind of the rpg news i have not been paying close attention to that right now um so but that's what we got all right so now i want to do a segment that we we did a couple of them i i got some good feedback from a few people who listen they're like oh this is kind of cool so let's talk about our games, Michael, okay. and what we're playing right now. You know, just what's going on in our personal game life. So uh, anything interesting going on with you for games?
0: Well, I, I've mentioned it multiple times now. I'm, I'm back playing games with my childhood best friends who we, you know, that's when I started playing D&D when I was roughly 12, 35 years ago now. It was with these three people and we have not really played since like i think brandon and i played like once in college type of a thing and we got together for a for a guy's weekend because i've moved back closer to home we're closer together and we played a one shot and everyone loved it they're like hey let's keep doing this and then we played one more session and then we've had to cancel i had covid someone else had covid Uh, two of them are teachers so they could not get anywhere near me because of, of covid but we have our next schedule session scheduled for later this month, fingers crossed that it works out. I've been busy adapting a, a module for them. I actually got maps and minis out, which is something I normally don't do, but they prefer that version of play. Um, we are going to be playing Jakey's second session of the Five E Homebrew one shot that he made for us. So I've got to play now with my kids, which is absolutely incredible. Um, I started replaying the Never, or excuse me, the Icewind Dell game like the old it's like i think it's second edition or first edition rules it's on steam i actually have a group of friends we're playing it online so each of us has a character we're playing uh the, the multiplayer version of that which has been a lot of fun and then um before the podcast i was really big into poker like i i played all kinds of poker we had a poker league out of my house um you know it, it was a whole thing we never played for a lot of money but we just it was like a social thing we would do um and I lost a lot of money learning <laughs> how to do that cool chippy thing. I can do the the chip stacking thing. Okay. Uh, so my kids suddenly they're they've been playing VR and there's like this poker room you can play VR poker for no money. So now all of a sudden they're into it. So we've been playing poker with the kids. So we, we draw you know I got poker chips. Everybody gets like you know ten dollars or whatever, and we play nickel and quarter poker. I just that's like what we're doing around the table at night, and I it's a lot of fun to play with my kids. That is fun. Um, so I wish right. I had more RPG stuff, but. Next time we do this, I should be able to talk about the session. And we actually, oh, yeah, gaming weekend. This coming, Not well, not tomorrow, but next Friday is our second faculty meeting. So we're going to have a whole bunch of people gathering up in Oxford. I think it's Ohio. Ohio. There's some question about that. It's near Miami University. And we're going to be playing games all weekend long. So I will have a ton of stuff to talk about then. Okay. What about you, sir?
1: So for me, kind of weird. My Forbidden Lands game We've had, this is, I think, the longest stretch since COVID where we haven't played it. Mm. Um, I, a f- I traveled a bunch last month. And then the previous session, the, we had a few guys who couldn't show up because they were traveling for work. And so we still wound up playing RPGs. I wound up inviting some other people over and we played Paranoia instead, mm. which was awesome. And then yesterday, two people were sick. So it's like, oh my gosh, we're going on like a month and a half where we haven't played our game. So I'm kind of itching right now. It just feels kind of weird because I pride myself in, and it, we're not at the point where the campaign is dead, but it's like, we're like, uh, I'm also yeah. about to have another child. <laughs> so I know we're going to miss at least one session, maybe two. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I just want to play our regular campaign.
0: Yeah, I'm a big believer, I'm sure you've heard me say this before, that you start missing sessions, stuff dies. Like it's it's best to even if like not everyone can show up, do something. Play a board game, watch yeah. a movie together. But if you start like people stop showing up at the appointed place at the appointed time, it is so easy for a game to die. Which you have a pretty regular game group. Yeah, I, I we've been playing
1: for so like we've been playing for like six years together. So it's more of like how's the what's the campaign gonna feel like when we get back or are people still gonna be interested in forbidden lands and are we are we gonna jump to something else but i don't know i'm kind of at this point too where like i'm really enjoying this campaign but i'm at this point where i really want to play more games and i'm trying to figure out how to facilitate that i'm really lucky right now my next door neighbor plays rpgs now we moved and you know we hit like the I got like the golden ticket where like the people next door play board games and RPGs. So I'm like, well, maybe I can kind of, who knows, maybe I can do something there. Right. One, um, one of them already came over and played Paranoia with us. So that was cool. And, but I really, I've been reading One Ring and
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: extremely, it's way more complicated than I thought, but I really want to play that. And I want to play Nibiru again. And there's a new game called Beacon that's coming out. That we have a show and uh, show and tell dropping soon. That I really want to play that. But then also, I really want to play Pathfinder Second really? Edition because I keep seeing this Kingmaker thing that I guess they crowdfunded. This is like I guess it was an old adventure modules for the original Pathfinder, and then they redid it for 2nd Edition. The okay. reason I want to do this is because they've got really robust travel rules and stronghold rules, which is what I like in Forbidden Lands. And this mm-hmm. is a hex crawl. And I'm like, I this would be almost like a more crunchy Forbidden Lands. And I'm like, and I always hear about how fun it is to make Pathfinder 2nd Edition characters. And I'm like, I kind of want to play this. But my problem is, pazio is so bad at their marketing and i have no idea how to even buy this thing because Mm -hmm. i miss their crowdfunding campaign and it's just like my guys be better like like i can go to amazon right now and buy watsi products like what are you doing so you guys are supposed to be like their main competitor so let me buy this thing
0: so I said I I played Pathfinder second edition recently my my son oldest son John that's what he wanted to run so we got the second edition starter set and it comes with a pre-made adventure we ran through that did care for the adventure
1: Oh okay Mike you just didn't like your kid's game no, it
0: wasn't his fault
1: <laughs> I don't <think>. Okay <laughs> Okay no 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 yeah no it's definitely not for everybody I'm curious to try it because I want to I I just I want I there's a lot of people on our discord who like it mm-hmm. so I'm like, man, everybody keeps talking about this thing, and i'm I've never even read it. I feel like I should at least read it, so
0: uh, the Catacomb, if if not before, you can read through the the Pathfinder starter
1: set Check okay, all right, sounds good, okay, right. so this brings us to our dungeon talk topic. so for those who don't know, what we do is I go back and listen to old episodes of dungeon talk which is technically faculty meetings now
0: which were table topics it's a something you have as many episodes as we do things start to change so yeah
1: Yeah, so i'm into episode 26 all right so if you think about it we're on episode 162 this is 26 so this is this is still normal rpg academy canon michael never revamped and went back to issue one again we've always been going legacy numbering folks that's right okay so Twenty six episode twenty six called Hear Ye Hear Ye. Michael and Evan are chatting about fate and a few different things, and you all were talking about your previous session. I feel like a lot of these dungeon talks are you guys just man that session was just something was off like this is, that's like a lot of these were.
0: Well, yeah, and that was kind of the structure then because we were both in the same game, so that was kind of the idea is we play a game and then our next dungeon talk we would talk about the good and the bad. But just nature of conversation, we usually focused more on what didn't go well than what went great. But yeah.
1: So you all talked about how do you handle split party? Okay, so there's obviously the jokes about, oh, never split the party. Everybody's going to die. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about um, what you all were talking about is how do you split the party and keep everyone engaged? Mm -hmm. All right. And so you were concerned, Michael, that you were losing the players' interests. And so you were both talking about, well, if you split the party, what do you do? How do you make this still exciting? And how do you as the dungeon master balance having multiple scenes? So do you have any thoughts on that, Michael? Well,
0: I don't know what I said back then. That's also part of this this, uh, structure is I do not go back and listen to these so that Tom gets to present to me my ideas to see if they've evolved or not over the last, you know, uh, nine, 10 years we've been doing this. I actually really like splitting the party now. Again, I may have said the same thing and I don't know. I think it, it can add a dynamic to the uh, the session that can really energize things. But the key is that both sides have to be doing something interesting. And you have to bounce back and forth between them, kind of like you would in a movie. Think like a, a good Star Wars, your just your opinion on which ones are good or not, that they often do that where you have an A and B plot and you you cut away at like the little mini cliffhanger. Like, you know, you're you're running from the Imperials, you've you're you're hiding and you're not sure if they're gonna find you. Let's jump over here. You're trying to get and see if you can turn off the tractor beam before, you know. Uh, you get caught again as you try to leave and you just jump back and forth and you have to do it, give everybody enough time to do something, you know, engage the rules, engage the players, but not so long that the other side gets bored. And can you do that every time perfectly? No, of course not. But when you do it well enough, I actually think it makes the sessions go by really fast and are very engaging for both sides, particularly if there's some way they are connected. And I think that's a good example of turning off the tractor beam for the Death Star because your plans are all for naught if their plans don't succeed. So you're invested emotionally and narratively on each side doing something and being successful, not just your own. So that when you are you know, listening to the other side, that also affects you. So I think if, if you can do it well, it's a great technique. The problem with it is that sometimes even someone who enjoys doing it Doesn't do it well. I had a bad night. Or the party, the way they split themselves off, one group was doing something I'm totally unprepared for and the other side is not. So I'm more likely to lean into what I had prepared. So the other side may get a little less to do where I'm making things up on the fly and it doesn't make as much sense, you know, narratively or uh, coherently. But in general, I'm actually not afraid to split the party and I rather enjoy doing it.
1: Last time, way back when, you said you split the party a lot. But you said you don't necessarily enjoy it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So that's what you said last time. All right. That's because – and Evan kind of added to this that that you're all's playgroup. It wasn't necessarily you who were doing this. It was them. They would always split the party, and he said it was because the kind of – they were doing more of an – with made men, a more open kind of sandbox thing on this island, and they all had their own motivations. Everybody wanted to do those things.
0: So that would not be an example that I used where they're both working towards the similar goal on opposite sides. They're all just doing their own thing and they're really unrelated to each other.
1: Exactly. So it's a huge problem when everybody... It's good for all players and characters to have their own personal conflicts and motivations because that is such a... It's so cool, all right? And it's such a great thing to do. But as a player, all right? If you are going to want to split the party. You need to do what you're doing quickly and get it done and help the GM narrate and contribute. Don't diddle daddle, know exactly what you're going to do. And then don't like make a bunch of chaos and then get just get back. You should. If you're going to be split with the party, you you split the party. Your goal is do what you want to do and then you find a way to get back. everybody don't like make your gm like come up with like a way to get you back okay now i'm just gonna stand here until you like like players need to have and this goes a lot to like opening up your table and giving people the like the freedom to like add to the narrative like they should have the ability to say like okay now i'm going back and just kind of like that's it because players if you're getting bored at the table i'm sorry it's your own fault like it just is if it's cool to split the party, but you all just have to be prepared to deal with the consequences. It's now two scenes. So don't don't get on your phone. Engage. Watch the story. Like you did this. Deal with it. And it's like
0: <laughs> I, I will I will counter and say that if you're board the table, it's possibly your fault. Probably, maybe. I won't say it definitely is, because there are times where a GM might just do a poor job. Uh, of splitting things up or or not being able to wrap things together. But I do agree with the sentiment that if you chose to separate yourself because you were trying to, you know, pursue your own personal agenda, and then you're not trying to find a way to connect it back, then that kind of does lean more on the player than the GM. But I'm sure there are times when it's both sides or either side's fault.
1: Yeah, I am not somebody who's, I don't split, I don't split the party. So I typically don't do it. I am very, I come up with these weird, like, it, it may make no sense in the story for why are all the players here, but they are. They're just kind of what I do. Um, And we kind of have a, we play our games way more meta. And so that everybody, we really try to keep, I try to really keep everybody engaged at the table. So we'll, we'll, we'll sacrifice fiction and immersion for that. And then we found that it works really well. Uh I think what Forbidden Lands, I'm still balancing it. It kills me because in Forbidden Lands, everything is about the economy and resource management and selling stuff and buying new gear. So whenever we go into a shop, everybody kind of like there's I got all these the blacksmith and the tanner and all these other kind of things. And everybody wants to go buy and sell their own stuff. So I'm like, oh my gosh, these it was like the cliche shopping scenes and it wasn't like we're splitting up so everybody can go do their own like character like stuff it was like oh i want to go to the blacksmith i want to go here and i kind of like started to be like this one person has everything and now (laughs) um what do you guys want i know i'm not role-playing this tell me what you want all right okay we're done with that now so it's just, and everybody have, obviously they're all giving me a hard time. I'm like, oh Tom, you're you're ruining you're ruining my immersion here. I wanna I wanna haggle, and I'm like, what do you want? Like, okay, yeah, we could do that price, but I'm way more about getting everybody back together. That way to reduce downtime as much as possible. It's tough. Splitting the party can be cool. I've never been concerned with. Oh, split the party and now they're all gonna die. I'm not concerned right. with that. It's more of like, how do you keep everybody engaged? So I think keep it quick.
0: And I think there there are styles of game where splitting the party is deadly and dangerous. Uh, you know, particularly if you have like a very combat focused game. If you're, you know, you're running maybe a module or the DM is pretty much one of those like the dice fall where they may, whatever happens, happens, and they've built an encounter assuming that, you know, there'll be five characters that kick down this door and two characters decide to go the other way. And then two characters kick down the door by themselves. so now you have an encounter made for four to five players against two. And, you know, if if you don't feel like you should change the numbers or you just don't change the numbers and say, oh, there were supposed to be three ogres, but since half the party's not here, there's only going to be two. There's going to be an ogre and a bugbear. Then yeah, it can get very deadly very quickly and and I've been in games where that's happened and back in my older second edition 3.5 days I probably did that. But the games I run now that's probably not really as big of a concern.
1: Yeah. So it's it's tough. I think it's can be cool. It's not my preference to do it and I'm very clear. I have no problem telling my players, "Nope, you guys are all together still. <laughs> like, trust me, you will have more fun." Yeah. I know better. So that's right. All right, um, so the next topic that you all talked about was rules-light versus rules-heavy games. All right, the reason that you were talking about this was because you were in the process of trying to play Fate, mm-hmm. and you had somebody ask a listener. It was a listener question back in the day. By I don't somebody. Named, this was a
0: real one or if we made this up
1: or something. They were named not. Andrew.
0: And we probably made that up. Sounds like a okay. made-up name.
1: Okay, yeah, Andrew was basically wondering what y'all's thoughts were on rules-light games versus heavy games if you all had a preference about those things. Um, y'all's back then, you really both of you really didn't have any experience. Really. Experience playing. You all had been playing D&D and um What is it? Not Shadowlands. What is it called? Deadlands. 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 And you had started to play Fate, but Fate isn't necessarily a super rules-like game. It kind of is in that kind of spectrum over there. But now, Michael, as you have now played a lot more games, like... What's your thoughts on rules light versus rules heavy games? And I I know it's a big conversation, so I want to narrow it down. Like, do you have a preference?
0: It, it's sort of like like ask me like what restaurant do I want to go to, or okay. what do I want at a particular restaurant? It's going to depend on a lot of other factors. How much time we have? Is this a one shot or is it a campaign? Uh, who are the players with me? Am I running the game or am I player in the game? Because at this point, I do have a lot more experience with a wider variety of games that go from crunchy to, you know, more rules light. D&D is probably one of the most rules-heavy game I, plays with, I play, which isn't the most heavies out there, but it's, i say it's on the upper end of the spectrum. And then I made my own game, which is basically improv where you sometimes roll D12s for some reason. So I've played a full gambit and I have fun playing them all. I've had fun running them all, but I do think it's very group dependent. There are certain players that I could crush an action 12 cinema game or a dread game or, you know, lasers and feelings, but might be miserable playing a forbidden lands game with. Yeah, And then the other way around, I could have a group of people that playing five E we are knocking it out of the park, but then we go into something that's more improv focused where they struggle a little bit where it is more on the player skill than the character. Like, me, you know, my, in d and my character has a skill that says, I'm really good at performing, so I don't actually have to perform. But in a rules-like game, it's generally going to fall more on how are you actually doing, like how well are you improvising this speech that you're giving or the song that you're trying to make up. So it's, a more, so it's more improv-based and people have different skill sets. So I'm going to say it depends, but I could probably have a good time either way you want to go.
1: Okay, so the this is the this is what i wanted to talk about this is different than what you all were talking about because you all were immersed in rules like games like we are now so a few things rules like games are typically more done by indie developers people who have small budgets um people who are don't have a lot of time they're just making games all right this is my problem all right and I'm not going to call anybody out because these are indie developers. They're all on the grind. Okay? But there are there are too many people making games that are too rules light, all right? These games, all right, a good rules light game should do its one thing really really well. But basically what I've seen is that we basically more rules light games are just a bunch of improv prompts and that people really didn't write a game and you Actually roll some. <laughs> yeah, I will. No, I mean, your thing does its thing. And I'm going to talk about that. All right. So, but, and then it's just kind of, that's it. And it's, and then they call it a game. And this is where I do think that definitions are important. And I think too many people are just pumping out too many games without thinking about them. And just saying, oh, look at this new game I did. Look at this game jam that I participated in. And like, it's just like you don't need to be making something 24 seven. Just sit down and think about your game.
0: Okay. So let me, let me jump in a little bit. Cause I'm, I'm definitely of the two of us, I'm the more bland, right? I, I, I don't have very many spicy takes on things. Okay. I, yeah. I generally try to ride the side of oh, I'll get along, it's all be fun. I'm with you here yeah. But with a caveat. I have absolutely no problem with people making 37 games a month. If they want to, they put them up on itch. Great. But don't expect that people should pay you for them and then get on Twitter and complain that no one plays my game about trying to figure out if you can seduce a tire iron. Yeah. And everybody wants to play D and D instead. Of course. Why are you shocked by this? Now, your game might be the best version of can you seduce an inanimate object on the planet? But the the number of people who want to play that is very small in an already niche market. And then, so that's the only thing that gets me. is like, if you want to say, here's a game I wrote, you know, here, it's free. go Go play it. And if people like it, then maybe you make another one. But when someone has 37 games on their itch page, they're all one page long and they're expecting people to pay $5 each. I don't think that's, You should not, if someone pays you $5, fantastic, but don't, don't act like you should get paid for those games or you should get paid if you made a thing, but your expectations of how many people are going to be willing to pay for that, I think is very skewed. At least within Twitter that I see, I'm sure there's people who do make lots of games and throw them up there. And if one sells, they're thrilled, but they don't really care. But I see a lot of people like saying, I need everybody to buy games. For me, because I've been doing this for 10 years, and then you look at their itch page, and you're like, wow, okay, that's a thing.
1: If you heard some weird coughing, that's because my dog just came over here and just, like, hacked twice and then walked away. Okay, so no, I totally agree. Like, a game jam is – that is something – it's almost like a, a creativity, like, exercise where you – you you I'm man, I'm reading about the iron tire iron seduction game. Oh. Right now, we're gonna do a game jam on this, all right? So it uses D12s. D twelves. That's the that's right. the
0: only rule I have to, to include. D 12s only. No more D6s. D12s, Damn with the D6s.
1: Everybody get all the players, they're not players. Every player is one of the lug one of nuts. The lug nuts yep. All right. And the game, you either get
0: screwed on or screwed off. Oh
1: I like that. And so
0: once everyone's either on or off, that's when the game ends. Either the tire is attached or you're you're rolling down the highway, your car's going the other way.
1: See, this is what I'm talking about, though. We need a mid-page. This, like, this, this is, is gold. Look, all right. This is, but, okay, so, but this is, all right. That, it just kind of, I feel like it's just this type of game is really just kind of, Polluting is such a strong word because I don't I don't think that's the right word, but there's just so many of these games now. And I think it's so much better when these I think Zine Quest is great because I think Zine Quest is a time where everybody really focuses. They still can make cheap games, minimal art, all these things, but I feel like there's always these all the games are just such high production. It's a it's just different. But I think what's so important is if you got a rules light game. It needs to do its rule very, very, it needs to be very good at it because now I want to kind of talk about the rules-heavy games because they can fall into this same camp too. And I kind of put this little chart in our notes, Michael, and this is just kind of what I wanted to say because I got these basically rules-light, rules-heavy, okay? Good rules-like games. These are games that have really strong core mechanics that really make you feel like you're playing a game, paranoia. Dread, all right, Cthulhu Dark, I would even, um Kalums. I threw Calum's The Paris Gondo in here, because these are all games that have this central concept, um, and that the rules really inform the fiction that you're trying to do, and that's great. It's not just, here are some improv prompts, now roll some dice, do you succeed on what you're trying to do? It's different. The bad part of rules like games, like I said, it's just, there's too many game jams, but now to kind of suppose that with rules heavy like a good rules heavy games all right simbrum all right i think of faith the science fiction rpg there's these real these real crunchy games that are very clear here's the rules these are how they let you play the game a bad game all right this is not me saying like this is a bad game but D 5e i'm just talking about the rules and themselves because the rules for 5e are very loosey-goosey in the sense that you can kind of do whatever you want. And this is kind of similar to these rules light kind of games where it's just kind of like just kind of do what you're do. It just kind of it doesn't, it just doesn't feel complete. Like I just always go back to the D and D 5e encumbrance rules. There is literally there's encumbrance rules where it's like five times your strength or something like that. But then there's a sentence right after that. But it says it really doesn't matter since most of the time players aren't even going to have the encumbrance. And yeah. it's just like, I've that's... not
0: tracked encumbrance in 30 years.
1: But the problem is that's in the rules that it's like, this really doesn't matter. So I think rules, heavy games fall into this trap when they just make rules that contradict other rules or rules that don't matter.
0: Yeah, see, I don't, I, I would think that's more of like, it's on a spectrum of how much complexity do you want? Uh, you know, I, when D&D Next was a thing and they were trying to you know, play test of that, the one of the selling points is it was going to be a modular thing where you'd have a base game, but you could have encumbrance rules that are just, if you want them, you plug them in. If you don't want them, take them out. And they did that, but they did it very inelegantly where it was just like a sentence like, yeah, or ignore this or ignore that rather than saying, here's our skill system. If you want it, this is how it works. If you don't want it, this is what you do instead. So I I, I don't really, I, I kind of disagree with your argument set up there that yeah. 5e falls into that. I just think it was not presented very well. But for me, the problem with a, with a rules-heavy game is when it's complex for the sake of being complex. And the complexity yeah, doesn't actually make the game more fun. It just makes it more complicated.
1: That's another very good point i'm like i said i've been talking in our discord about the one ring rpg and i'm in the process of reading that because um one of my one of my goals for this year i just want to read more games and i've been reading this and i'm kind of i don't know how i feel about it yet because i just started talking about the combat rules and it's very hard to understand and i'm all about information flow and i don't think they present the information in a really clear way and I don't know yet if the game is elegant or messy, all right? Okay. So I don't have an idea yet. The rules all seem to – they seem to be there for a purpose, all right? They all seem to, like, fit what, what – what they they all seem to be there and they have a purpose. But I don't know if that purpose is going to serve me well at the table or if it's just going to make things just feel like a slog and kind yeah. of – not make the game feel like Middle Earth in Tolkien. So I'm kinda of, but yeah, totally agree. Right now, I'm kinda of leaning towards the that they're kinda of messy mm-hmm. and there's just too many rules. Four rules sake. So but yeah, I there's a spectrum of rules light and rules heavy games. Like you were saying, rules heavy games, don't do so many rules. Don't make unnecessary rules. Rules light like games Give us something.
0: Yeah. I think that it comes down to how much agency players have to influence the world, like basically narrative control. In a rules light game, it's generally very improv based, where if a player says, Thank God you're here, Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln is now in the scene and you're just going to enroll with that. Right. And in the rules heavy games, the players usually don't have that much autonomy to just say, Oh, well, I hit the goblin, the goblin's dead. They have rules that allow them to interact with the world. And based on the rules and how they built their character, now I can say the goblin is dead, but it's not just because I said it, it's because the rules allowed me to say that. And I think that's the sort of the the, the space I'm in. I'm very comfortable in a rules light scenario doing improv heavy things where everybody's just making up stuff and it's fun. Again, see action 12 cinema, or a more rules where heavy words like, okay, you need to see if you can get across this pit using your character sheet, the way you built them, the choices you made earlier, the choices you made as far as like what gear you have and where you've put allocation points on advancement. That's how you get through this challenge. It's not that you just say you jump up, grab the legs of a duck and it flies you over. It's because at first level, I did this. And at fifth level, I did this. And at seventh level, I took this. Now I get to go across and I, you know, which one do you enjoy? Which one are you good at? Which one do you think provides the best experience? And it's just, Generally different people, but sometimes it's just, what are you, what are the mood for?
1: Yeah, I just, yeah, I don't usually, I usually don't get on rules light and indie people too much, but I am right now just because (laughs) I feel, whenever I see a new game jam, I'm like, please, no, just like, just don't do this. It's just, (laughs) I just, but I totally agree with you though, Michael, because this whole idea of like, there's just, you go to the, their itch page and there's just so many games and it's like, these are all cool, but none of them feel polished.
0: They're drafts. Like, like that's what it used yeah. to look like is you would make a game that was not great, but it had like an, a, a nugget, like our episodes. There's really, hopefully something you can take from them. And then you make another game and there was a nugget in that one. You make another game. No one saw these games. Maybe your play group did. But then after you had four or five games, you take all those nuggets together and you make a game that's like, this is actually really good because it takes this and this and this. And then that's the one you present to the world. And what we've done, we've sort of decentralized the, um, the creation process where everyone gets to be a part of every step. And I think that's okay but then trying to monetize those steps as yeah. like this is a value to you, I don't know that that's true. But again, if people are getting paid for their games on itch, then I'm the moron. They're the ones you know making money. It just it seems disingenuous to me when I see on occasion people who who seem to think that these games they have worked on are worth as much as. Like a d I know. Game. It, no, I it's know. not. It's just not. Sorry.
1: And I totally agree. And I think that you can do it. Not every. And this is. Um, there's 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 designers in the space who are trying trying to get other indie people away from this mentality. And their kind of argument is: look, not every game needs to look like a triple A game, hardback, full color, everything. Just don't make games just to to make. Like just don't make something because you, oh you have time and now you need to hustle and need to grind. You got to make another game to put on your itch and sell for a dollar. Really, just kind of sit, take a step back. What is your goal for this game? And then really, then pour focus yourself. Don't stress so much. Don't feel like you need to make a game every week. Kind of idea. Like I think of like Jack Harrison with Mousehole Press makes some of the best small light indie games uh and i i would even throw calem into this as well this Calum didn't go he got some he got some great cover art and some other um icons and some simple stuff but it's not like this huge full color thing but what it is is it feels very complete mm-hmm. and this very complete product that was kind of like oh there was thought and real design intent put into this so if i don't I said know that please back action 12 cinema when it comes to kickstarter <laughs> near you yeah so michael take these take this i feel like you haven't this you haven't you didn't jam this one but i feel like i feel like if you make a successful all right, i will say this if you make a successful game mm-hmm. feel no shame for making a jam and having other people make games for your jam you don't make anything but all that does is you know Oh, Publicize your own game, right. so I don't know. Uh, t- indie games, I love you, but I love you all, you indie creators. I mean, that's all the time. Games don't actually have to be good to be fun. Like sometimes there
0: are, there's a disconnect between like some of my favorite games aren't games that are necessarily good, but they are. They provide me a framework for having fun that I. like rewarding like some of the my favorite games i play on nintendo are not good games like 10 yard fight is one of the worst games ever made i love playing it it's just so much fun to do for you know 30 minutes at a time type of a thing i'm not going to spend you know 70 hours like a legend of Zelda type thing but so not to say that someone can't just in two hours come up with a game that is great that they deserve to get paid for but i don't think Every game that gets made up in two hours necessarily deserves that,
1: but I think we've been on that too long. Oh my word, we have been on this topic for way too long, and I think that's our last topic. Man, we we rambled on that for a while, so. Yeah. So normally we would have
0: listener questions. But again, this was all kind of spurred the moment, putting it together, doing it today. Um, so we didn't have a chance to call out for questions. Since we do have a couple people watching, we will throw out to the audience. If you have any questions you want us to answer, we will do our best. While there's a little bit of a delay. So while we're doing that, let's do the, the sign off. So Tom, where can people find you if they want to come yell at you about your wrong, bad opinions?
1: That's fine. Come yell at me. Come fight me. Like I will go. Like all right, you can find me on Twitter at bezcar Tom. That's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter.
0: And you can find me at the RPG Academy. I'm most active on Twitter. We do have our Discord, which is my favorite corner of the internet. If anyone's interested in hanging out with us there, please do. It's a closed Discord, we let anyone in, but you have to ask. It's just not like an open where anyone can jump in because we had a bunch of people jump in and start spamming stuff. So we disclosed it, but basically anyone who asks gets in. Absolutely love the people in our Discord. I love the conversations there. It truly is my favorite corner of the internet. We have um, our sample adventures, which are streams of, of one shots of various games. Those are all coordinated through Discord. It's just pretty much, hey, who wants to play? Who's willing to run? So if you'd like to get more involved and be part of the, some of the things we do, highly suggest that you do that uh Catacon, november 4th fifth, and 6th in dayton ohio come play games with us there action 12 cinema will be on kickstarter eventually and if you're into kickstarters we have a show called the ttrpg crowdfunding review show we put out every other week uh where we take a look at nine or so different kickstarters or crowdfunding campaigns on various platforms and it's a way to keep it an educated and informed of all the various ones maybe we'll find something you would have missed Uh, It costs me money every time we do that show because I always end up backing something, whether it's one I brought or not. So if you have time, money, or interest, check out that show. What's the quick sell on show, quick sell on show and tell?
1: Show and tell is the show where I interview cool guests to talk about the cool things that they're working on. The next one to come out will be Dragon Bane. That'll be coming out Tomorrow or Friday. That was a kind of a last minute kind of ad. We have a bunch of show and tells already scheduled for this month, but I want to fit theirs in. Uh I'm ta- I talked to Thomas, who's one of the founders of Free League. So that's a very cool one. And then next week, the Beacon RPG show and tell is gonna be coming out. And this is this game is gonna be huge. I oh. just
0: so it's, it's not a game jam. It's, it's not just like... It's
1: not a game jam. I mean, we're going to be talking about Beacon. I think Beacon's going to be like... It's got the legs. I think it's going to have the community like... I think it's going to be like Lancer. I even think potentially even like Forge in the Dark. Like that's how big I think this is going to be.
0: So Sumki said they got to play Dragonbane last night and really enjoyed Whoa!
1: it. Whoa! Nice. Okay, yeah. I'm going to be running Dragonbane hopefully on our Discord with some folks for the sample adventure soon. Okay. So it should be cool. So okay. Anyway, that's show and tell.
0: All right. So yeah, so check it. So again, we're, 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 we're testing out the waters with, with streaming the faculty meetings. That's not something we normally do. They're going to go up on YouTube. So if you enjoy this, let us know. It will encourage us to continue to do it. If you end up watching this later on YouTube, please consider following the podcast and, and listening to those and going back and listen to all the ones that you have uh, backlogged. And we literally have over a thousand episodes at the RPG Academy. Yeah. You don't have to listen to all of them, but there's probably some back there that you might get some value of. Uh, But I think that will do it for now. So we will sign off as we always do by saying, remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or RPG, consider using our affiliate links first. And then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook.